All right, church fam, go ahead and find your seats. Go ahead and make your way to your seats. Uh, if you are visiting, hanging out with us today, if today's your first Sunday, you picked a great Sunday. I don't know, can, can anybody, can you smell what's on the other side of that curtain? My goodness, it's going to be wonderful. Uh, super, we got, we got some talented uh, cooks in this place, and I, I'm, I'm super excited to, to dive in. Uh, try the short ribs. I hear they're fantastic. I don't know who made them. Um, <laughs> But I just hear they're great. Uh, hey, I've got, uh, got kind of one more really cool announcement, something for us to celebrate. Uh, you all know we have been uh, searching for, praying for, uh, following the Holy Spirit's guidance as we look for someone to step in and lead our student ministry into kind of its next phase into the future. Um, whoa, it's, it's, like, it's like blinky up here. Um, that's not great for my ADD. Uh, anyway, we've been looking for somebody, praying for somebody, and luckily in the last couple of weeks, we, God has led us to the exact person that we've been praying for. Uh, we hired this past week a youth pastor. His name is Casey Cox. Um, super excited for you all to meet Casey. He and his fiance Lauren, made a video for us. Check this out. Hey, Venture. My name is Casey, and this is my fiance Lauren. We're super excited to make the move to Louisville soon and become a part of the Venture family. And I'm super excited to join the church staff and get involved in the student ministry here. We'll see you all soon. They're awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, you can give it up for them. So uh, they're in the process of moving this direction from uh, Illinois, and so uh, they're, you're going to get a chance to meet them uh, here in the next few weeks. Casey's going to actually be here uh, towards the, the end of the month, uh, and then Lauren, his fiance, is moving down uh, in August. She's starting grad school at UofL, but also working at UofL um, as a TA. Don't worry, I've already communicated to her about the UK UofL thing. She understands, right? She gets it. Um, so, but I'm super, super pumped to have them join us, um, and, and really, really looking forward to uh, them jumping in, jumping on board and Casey jumping on with our staff. So uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we are going to dive into our new series today. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you, Father, that we get a chance to, to dive into your word today, that we get a chance to see kind of where your word and your kingdom and your culture, Lord, how those things line up with what we experience in everyday reality right now. Uh, and Jesus, that, that those things don't have to live in separate worlds, but, but rather, like just like you did, we can bring your kingdom into the places we find ourselves. Father, we, we can bring your kingdom into our jobs, into schools, into the, the teams that we play on, into our neighborhoods, into our families, into our relationships. Lord, we are so grateful uh, that, that, we can, that your kingdom breaks through. Uh, so, Jesus, today I pray as we unpack your word, uh, Lord, that you would just continue to teach us that you would open up your word in new ways and that we, our hearts would be soft, our ears would be open, and our eyes would be open to see you. Uh, Jesus, we love you. I pray all this in your name. Amen. All right. So, if you look up in the dictionary uh, the word cancel, here's the definition. Here's what you'll find. The word cancel is a verb, and it means this, to annul, to revoke, to abolish or to make void, to neutralize, to negate, to withdraw support from, and to mark, pierce, or tear in order to show invalidation. And so for the most part, as I thought about this this week, canceling, the act or action of canceling, is pretty harmless. And the truth is, we do it all the time. Something comes up last minute, right? We didn't see coming. we got to cancel reservations, Right? Or we have, to, we have to cancel a meeting because something came up at work. Like by, by definition, right, those, those meetings or those reservations, they are no more. They've been annulled. They've been revoked. Or maybe for some of us, you, you, you get bad news. Right? You get bad news, but then like in the morning and then in the afternoon, you get good news. Like all that happens in the same day, and in the end, they kind of cancel each other out. By definition, like the effects of the bad news were kind of neutralized by the good news. 
Or maybe somebody at work has an idea about a project that you're working on, and you go, I can get behind that idea. But then somebody else comes along with a better idea, and you go, you know what, I like the old idea first, but I like this new idea more. That's canceling, right? By definition, you're withdrawing support for the old idea, and instead you're supporting the new idea. Or like yesterday, my family, we went to see the new Spider-Man movie. It's phenomenal. You should go see it, right? We went to the, the movies, right? You go to the movies or you go to a concert, you get a plane, you know, get on a plane to travel somewhere. Like they take your ticket. Like the guy at the, the, the booth, he scanned our tickets. Like they mark that ticket, they scan it, they, they stamp it, they tear it in half, they give you the other half. And by definition, that ticket is now canceled, right? It got you into the 5 o'clock show or the 4 o'clock flight, but you can't turn around and use it again to get into the 8 o'clock show, or you can't fly wherever you want with the ticket that you flew to one place. You can't do that. Why? Because that ticket has been invalidated, right? It's no longer valid going forward. It got you one thing, but it's not going to get you the other things, right? So canceling is something we do a lot. It's something we encounter a lot. It's something we take part in. But the problem is this. The act And the action of canceling, right, the problem we run into is when it's no longer about meetings and reservations or things on our calendars. It's no longer about the tension that exists between good news and bad news. It's not about supporting, like, one good idea or the better or the best ideas at work. It's not about plane tickets or movie tickets or or tickets to a show, right? The problem we run into happens when instead that act or that action of canceling gets shifted and applied to people. That's when we have a problem on our hands. Because... Those same definitions, right, that we just talked about, they're applied to someone instead of something, right? We're annulling relationships, not reservations. We're we're neutralizing individuals, not just ideas, right, when we withdraw our support. But one of the things that I was thinking about as I was kind of getting ready for today, I was reading through some of these definitions. For me, it's the last one that hits the hardest because I think it's the truest picture of what happens when we try to cancel someone instead of something, whether it's their reputation or their credibility or their identity, their character, their career, their influence, or, or even in some cases their actual physical body. We mark them. We pierce them. We, we blow holes in their, in their character and in their integrity. We tear them down, right, to show the world that they have been permanently invalidated. It doesn't matter who they are. Because just in the last few years, I mean, we've seen it. We've seen pastors and politicians and, and public figures And everyday people get canceled. And here's the truth. When the crosshairs of cancel culture lock on, who you are as a person, what you have to say, what you do, it all gets invalidated. It carries no weight. It doesn't count. Why? Because you've been canceled. You don't count. You don't matter. Cancel culture, kind of by definition, what it wants to do is make sure that you have no use or function in society going forward. You're out, you're done, there's no coming back. And it becomes an even bigger problem when it's no longer just kind of the mode of operation of just a few people, but instead it becomes the, the way of culture. See, we, we talked about the definition of, of what cancel is. Here's the definition of culture. It's defined as the attitude and behavior characteristics of a social group or of a population. We're not talking about just one or two people. We're talking about an entire population. We're talking about an entire society. It's not just a random act of being canceled or canceling someone. It it is the general stance. It's the posture. It's the way of life. It's it's how we operate. When, When our general attitudes and behaviors become linked with the act and action of canceling, revoking, rejecting, and invalidating people, it can get really dangerous really fast. 
And here's the proof. I read an article in Psychology Today this week that talked about the mental health effects surrounding cancel culture. Here's what it said. For, for those who have been canceled, if you're canceled, it feels as if everybody has given up on you before you've even had the chance to apologize, let alone change your behavior. Instead of creating a dialogue to help you understand how your actions may have hurt others, the cancelers shut off all communication, essentially robbing you of the opportunity to learn and grow from your mistakes. That's just for the canceled. For the cancelers, canceling the offending person or brand, the article said, doesn't always cause them to change their beliefs or lead to lasting change. It can even make them dig their heels in in an effort to defend their ego and their reputation. And here's what this does to the cancelers, right? This leads to an unending cycle of frustration and emotional, emotional exhaustion for the cancelers. It's like you're fighting a battle you can never win. You're fighting a battle where the, the, the opponent is constantly shifting and changing. And just when you think you got one defeated, another one comes into the picture. But here's for, for the most of us, right? Most of us, we, we've not been canceled and most of us, maybe we haven't been the direct cancelers of something or someone. Most of us are bystanders. And here's what this article had to say about those of us that kind of stand by and watch cancel culture happen and unfold in front of us. It says this, after seeing so many people canceled, some bystanders are plagued with fear. They become overwhelmed with anxiety that people will turn on them if they fully express themselves. This can cause them to keep their thoughts bottled up instead of talking about and working through their opinions and their emotions. And in the end, the article said this, while certain aspects of cancel culture are intended to hold people and organizations accountable for bad behavior, it can take bullying, rejection, isolation, and loneliness and anxiety to new levels, damaging the well-being of everyone involved. Something I remember my grandfather used to say, everybody gets bloody in a rock fight. No matter which side you're on, or if you're just a bystander, cancel culture has a profound effect on all of us. And that's why we're going to spend the summer talking through this, because here's the truth. Jesus' kingdom culture, which we're about to learn, right, and modern-day cancel culture are at odds with one another. I'm going to explain more of that here in just a minute. Like, they're not compatible. But I think it's important for us to understand this, right? They're not compatible. Jesus' kingdom culture and our modern-day cancel culture, they just, they don't fit together. And here's why. Cancel culture looks to disavow, discredit, and detach. But Jesus' kingdom culture looks to restore, redeem, and renovate. They have two different goals, two different actions, Two different ways about going, going about doing things. And again, if today's your first Sunday here, the way you take notes at Adventure, just take a picture of the screen, right? So I'm going to tell you today, you're going to want to have your phones handy because we're going to talk about some stuff that's going to help us, I think, engage in, in our world today. How do we as Christians and believers in Jesus or those investigating Jesus, like, how do we do this? How do we live in an age of outrage, right? Because that's really what it is. I mean, we, we live in a day where through social media and other different media sources, it's an, age of, it's an age of outrage. You can literally find someone every day that's mad at something. And it's the end of the world. Oh, my gosh. Have you seen, like, if you, if you want to see this actually play out, drive on the Gene Snyder between 5 and 6. That's right. Like, like I, it's like I really think, and again, these guys that are out there working, these men and women that are out there working on the roads, I think they're doing a fantastic job. Whoever is putting the plant, they're just making it up as they go along, right? 
But I do think it's, it's, it's interesting for us, like, that we have to figure out a way to navigate this. We have to figure out a way as believers to step into this world and bring the kingdom culture of Jesus. But I just want to show you some of the differences, right? Cancel culture, by nature, is impulsive, right? It moves to immediate outrage, snap judgment, and, and all that stuff usually comes from biased or partial facts, Usually we find out later that there's more to the story, right? And the thing that caused us to, to, to rush to judgment or the thing that caused us to, to have this conversation or, or email this or tweet this or text that, we didn't have the full story when we did this. So cancel culture is impulsive, but Jesus' kingdom culture is intentional. It listens and it learns and then it responds. There's a difference between responding and reacting, James chapter 1 says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. When it comes to impulse or intentional, James makes it really clear which one we're supposed to do. Cancel culture justifies hate and judgment, right? Justify, the way to think about the word justify is just as if I. Right? So it's like, well, I didn't, I didn't say this to this person, and I don't hate this person. But when you start to justify that stuff, it's just as if you did. So cancel culture justifies hate and judgment. People are deemed worthy of hate. They're judged as guilty before there's even due process of their crimes, right? And then what we do is this. We give ourselves permission to punish them accordingly the way we see fit. But then Jesus' kingdom culture offers unconditional love and forgiveness, it shifts away from self-righteousness and judgmental attitudes and actions. I mean, Jesus himself said this in Matthew 7, don't judge or you too will be judged. For the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Basically, Jesus is saying, be careful where you aim your, aim your judgment because here's the deal. There's only one judge and guess what? It ain't you. Jesus says, listen, that's one role you don't have to worry about. My father and I, we got that. Matthew 5, Jesus says this. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and, and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for the people that persecute you. And then in Colossians chapter 3, Paul says this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, as the people that are believers in Jesus, those who have been set aside, right, those who have been set apart, those who, who are the followers and believers of Jesus, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, do this. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You see how that's different from anger, bitterness, prejudice, gossip, and slander. That's not what it says. It says compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then it says this, bear with each other. Which means this, deal with each other's mistakes. Right? Mistakes are costly. And we're human, and we're not perfect, and we make mistakes. And when we make mistakes, you know what? It, it, it causes us to kind of have to, to bear that weight. I gotta bear the weight of, of sometime when somebody hurts my feelings or offends me, or I have to, to bear the weight when someone lets me down. But it, instead of just going, I'm done with you, that's the opposite. If someone makes a mistake, and at that point, you're, the relationship is over, that friendship is over, the connection is over, communication is over, that's not bearing the weight, right? That's not dealing with mistakes, that's canceling. But Paul says you gotta bear with each other, you have to, to carry the weight of each other's mistakes, you gotta forgive one another. 
if any of you has grievance against someone, forgive like this, just as God forgave you, like Matt talked about. Before, before you even chose to trust Jesus, he already died for you, to forgive you, to release you from the debt, right? That's what the word forgiveness in Scripture, it's a financial term. It means this, you don't owe me anymore. But then I love this, Paul says, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I read a quote this week that, that I think sets up really perfectly what we're going to be talking about this summer. It says this, that the cancel culture dehumanizes people so that they become unredeemable and worthy of hate and anger and spite. But Jesus' kingdom culture leads with dignity and sees no one as unredeemable because repentance and change are always possible. You ever ask yourself that question? Can people really change? Jesus' kingdom culture would say, yeah. They can. The change, it's, it's always possible. And forgiveness is always available. Kingdom culture sees no one as an object of hate. Why? Because God's love is always available. And in kingdom culture, there are, there are no lost causes. And that should be good news. That to Jesus, there's nothing as, as too broken, too messy, too far gone, right? And that's the stance that we take at Adventure. No one that walks in the doors or steps into this place will ever be declared too broken, too messy, too far gone, or a lost cause. Because there's no such thing. Now, before we go further, I do want to say this, right? We talked about this a couple years ago when we unpacked Romans. So, so where is it then? Where, where is the line for us as believers? Where, where do we as believers kind of draw the line and say, no, we... we we, we want to lead in the kingdom culture, right? We want to lead with dignity. We want to see people as, as, as redeemable, that no one's a lost cause. But, but, but where do we draw the line and say, that's not okay? And I'm going to give you a really simple answer, right? Whether it's the government, whether it's a person, whether it's a brand, whether it's a, a business, when that person, when that government, when that whatever it is, when they permit something that God forbids or they forbid something that God permits, that's where we go, ah, that's the line. You get that? You tracking with me? When that person, politician, business, whatever it is, and that brand, when they permit something that God says, no, that's, that's actually outside of the bounds of, of what I would say is the best life for you. Or when they forbid something that God says, no, actually, this is what you're supposed to do. That's where we draw the line. But, again, what we have to understand, the way that we draw the line is through the mode of operation of kingdom culture not through cancel culture, that we're slow to speak, we're quick to listen, that we, don't, that we don't operate on impulse, we operate on intentionality. We don't operate from a place of anger and hate, we offer grace and mercy and love and truth. I think a lot of times we believe as Christians, it's like, well, all we can offer is grace, we can never offer truth. Jesus was really great at offering both. He was, he was un, he, he, it wasn't like Jesus was unwilling to offer truth. In fact, we're going to tell a story here in a couple of weeks about a woman that was thrown naked at Jesus' feet. And after Jesus kind of comes to the rescue and says, listen, if you want to get to her, you got to go through me. He turns around and looks at her and says, you've got to stop living this way. Because it's just going to get you thrown naked at people's feet, right? And there may be one day where I'm not here to rescue you. you got to stop. This isn't what's best for you. That's what Jesus is after. And that's really what his message was all about, right? The Bible tells us in Matthew that Jesus, he really kind of came preaching one consistent message, and it was this. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe. And that word repent, that's what makes change possible. The word repent literally means to change direction. 
to turn away from something in order to turn towards something else. And, and really, this is right here. This is the battle cry of Jesus' uncanceled kingdom culture. And you all know this. I'm a huge Dallas Willard fan. And so he says it like this. Jesus' message declares that it is now possible for you to rethink your life in light of the fact that the kingdom of the heavens is now open to all. And that really is the big idea for this whole series. Because imagine how good that sounds to someone who has been canceled. Or for those of us who might be living in the fear that one day we could be. Or those of us who have been told that we can't escape our mistakes. That we can't get over or get past the messes we've made. Those things have labeled us. They've branded us. All of those narratives that say there is no hope, there's no way out, now get replaced by, do you want another chance? Do you want to change? Do you want a from now on in your life? People say, yeah, my past has this. My past is, like, here's where my past has taken me, and I got the battle scars to prove it. But from now on, with Jesus in my life, with the Holy Spirit renovating who I am, I can change. And so for the next eight weeks, we're going to be working our way through these stories in the gospel, right? The first four books in the New Testament, right? These are the biographies of Jesus, right? They, they tell Jesus' story. And the reason we're going to go into these biographies of Jesus is we're going to see just how Jesus kind of ushers in the, the uncanceled culture of his kingdom. And he does that one person, one life, one story at a time. And so the, the first thing that Jesus' kingdom culture uncancels is this, the invitation and opportunity for discipleship which is this, would you like to rethink your life in light of the fact that there's an open invitation to be an apprentice of Jesus? Would that, would that change some things in your life? Maybe it's like, are, are you tired of, of trying this thing and that thing and that thing, this fad, this thing, reading this book, doing this, whatever it is, atomic habits, whatever it is, reading the, the, the tools of the Titans, like following all these, are you tired of that? How's that working out for you? Would you... Would you rethink your life if you knew that the opportunity to be an apprentice of Jesus was open to you? You don't have to keep banging your head against the wall. You don't have to try to figure life out on your own. If I told you it was possible to learn from the person who lived the best life humanly possible, wouldn't you want that? It's like, nah, I'd rather sprint blindfolded through a minefield, right? I hope I don't. You know, step on the, one of the minds of cancel culture and, and get blown up, right? But I'd, I'd rather just, I, I, can go, I can go this by myself. I can do this by myself, which is really what, what sin is, right? Sin, Bible word, right? It's basically us looking at Jesus going, Jesus, I think I can do life better than you. I'll do this on my own. But I think this question is this. What, what exactly is a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple what does being a disciple, what does discipleship look like? Good question. Thanks for asking, right? Discipleship, disciple and discipleship, are, there are words and concepts, right, that really aren't used outside the church. And again, going back into the, the, the Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard, here's how he defines these terms, right? He says, a disciple or an apprentice is someone who has decided to be with another person in order to become capable of doing what that person does or to become what that person is. And we do apprenticeship, right? We do that now. I mean, it, like, if you think about plumbers, electricians, right, all, like, you have to be an apprentice. Before you could be a master plumber, a master electrician, you know, the, those kinds, of, you, you have to be an apprentice. You have to follow along. You have to learn. That's why we go to school. That's why we work under folks, right, from time to time. We learn from professors and teachers. We learn from our bosses so that we can eventually step into those roles. 
Willard goes on, he says this, being a disciple or stepping into discipleship with Jesus is learning from Jesus how to live my life, my whole life, my real life, as he would live my life if he were me. I'm learning how to do everything I do in the manner that he did all that he did. So you got your Bibles or your Bible apps in front of you, open to John chapter 1. We're going to live in John for the next few weeks. Now, as you're flipping there, let me set up something really fast. Here's something important for us to know as we dive into discipleship and what it means to be a disciple. Typically, back in Jesus' day, when a rabbi, spiritual teacher, right, when people like Jesus, when they would choose their disciples back in this day, the main criteria that they were looking for, or, or the people that they would kind of extend the invitation to, right, those were the people that the rabbi, like, they felt they had what it took to eventually be like them. So when a rabbi would select a disciple, they were essentially saying this, I believe, disciple, you have what it takes to be like me. Come and follow me. In Jesus' day, like the rabbis and religious leaders would go into these Jewish schools and they would look for the most gifted young students. They would test them on their ability to know and understand Scripture, the Old Testament, the law, the first five books in the Bible, religion and rules. And even then, only the most educated, most capable, the ones with the most skill were chosen and invited to become disciples and enter into discipleship with the rabbi or that religious leader or that spiritual teacher. And on top of that, the only people that were under consideration and to be disciples back in this day were men. So here's what we can say. The opportunity to be a disciple and to step into discipleship for the majority of people in this time, I have no idea what is going on with the lights. Can somebody fix that? No? <laughs> okay. It's, it's a disco, right? I'm just going to start dancing, which you don't want that, right? Most of the people, have, would have been, would, they wouldn't have been seen as worthy of, of these invitations. Outside of, of a select few, most were canceled before they even had a chance. They were revoked, they were rejected, they were not supported, they were invalidated based on their gender, based on their intelligence, their ethnicity, their family name, their occupation, and so on and so on. The list of why you could not be a disciple was a mile long. The list why you could was only one or two things. I'm guessing there's some of us here today that have either been told or that we assume because of some aspect of our lives that being a disciple or stepping into discipleship are off the table for us. It's not an option because of the things that have happened. It's not an option because of what I've done. It's not an option because of who I am. The possibility and the opportunity have been canceled. Let's dive into John 1, starting at verse 35. It says, the next day, John, that's John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, was there with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus pass by, he said, look, there's the Lamb of God. When the two disciples of John the Baptist heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And, and turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked, what do you want? Which we'll get into that in a minute. And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So let's just pause here for a second, okay? If you're taking notes, you can circle some things in your Bible. A couple things you might be thinking. First is this. Hold up. Like, we just read that two of these guys that Jesus invited to come and see were already disciples of a guy named John the Baptist. And you're right. And what we know about John the Baptist today, we know that he played a huge role in setting up Jesus' ministry and movement, right? John the Baptist was the trailblazer for Jesus' mission and his ministry. He's the guy that announced Jesus. He's the guy that baptized Jesus, for crying out loud. I mean, the guy was a big deal. But back in this day, 
Saying that you were a disciple of John the Baptist would be like saying that you're a lifelong diehard fan of the Cleveland Browns or the Indiana Hoosiers. Ooh. John the Baptist was like not, he was not accepted. He was not acknowledged by the religious community back in the day. John the Baptist had been canceled by religious culture, which is why he did most of his baptizing, preaching, and teaching way out in the wilderness. And so what that meant was this, that, that being the disciple of a guy like John the Baptist meant this, that you're being and becoming like someone that's already been effectively canceled, and by default, you are only stepping further into living a canceled life yourself. So being a disciple of John the Baptist back in the day, according to the religious culture, was nothing. It meant nothing. The second thing is this, when they start to follow Jesus, if you got your Bibles out in front of you or maybe your Bible app, highlight this. Jesus asked the question, like, what are you looking for? That question that he asks literally is this, what do you seek? And in this culture, in this time, that was the key, that was one of the first questions that a rabbi would ask to, to a potential disciple. And so when Jesus turns around and sees these two young guys following him and he says, what are you looking for? What do you seek? The way Jesus asked that question would have tipped them off right there. Hey, this guy's opening the door to discipleship. That's the question that a rabbi asks a potential disciple. What are you looking for? What do you want your life to be about? What are you chasing after? What are you spending your time, effort, and energy on? They would have known that. And so they asked Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus invites them, come and see. Spend time with me. Get to know me. But being who they were, right, the canceled disciples of a canceled man, no legit rabbi back in this day, in their right mind would have given them the time of day. They wouldn't even turn around and said, what do you seek? They would never have asked that question. They would never have opened the door to the possibility of discipleship, let alone invited them to spend time with them. No rabbi, right, in this religious culture would want to be seen with guys like that. But Jesus asks the question opens the door, and then invites them to spend the day with him. And here's what happens. Pick it up in verse 40. It says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two that heard what John the Baptist had said and had followed Jesus. And the first thing he did was went and found his brother Simon, and he told him, we found the Messiah. That is the Christ. Christ wasn't Jesus' last name, right? It means chosen one. The one we've been waiting for. And then Andrew brings his brother Peter to Jesus. And as you go further into this, after spending a single day with Jesus, what, what, what do you notice? They're already starting to sound like him. You can see how their lives have already started to shift as a result. Andrew goes and finds his brother Peter, and he says, come and see. Come and see Jesus. As they all start to walk along, Jesus runs into a guy named Philip and invites him to follow. And Philip finds his friend Nathaniel and says, come and see. Come and see Jesus. See, Jesus, in one day, he opened the door to what they were told they could never do. And one day, he, he opened the door for them to become who they told they, were, they could never become. And not long after this, Jesus goes to the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee, we think sea, you think giant body of water. It's really a big lake. You can see the other side, right? He goes to the Sea of Galilee where most, most of these guys work. And again, culturally, for the vast majority of people back in this day, religious school stopped around fifth grade. And so for just about everybody between the ages of 10 and 13, you left school and started to work for your family. You learned the family trade. That's because that's all, that's the only option. Going, c continuing your education and Becoming a spiritual teacher, becoming someone who's a religious, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't on the table because discipleship was canceled. 
So you went to go work for your family. It says this in Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 18. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. He already knew them, right? Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen, which we know this. Not disciples, because they weren't in school. They were working. And Jesus says to them, come follow me, and I'll send you out to fish for people. He says, be my disciples and become like me. Why? Because I believe you have what it takes to be like me. And at once it says they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. These guys were young, right? So Peter owned his own fishing boat, and his brother Andrew worked for him. Peter was a little bit older. But but James and John, these guys were young. Why? Because they're still working with their father. It's, kind of, it's, it's mind-blowing, I know, but, but Peter was the only one of the disciples that was over the age of 20. Jesus was the world's first youth pastor. We tried to hire him. He says he wasn't available. He was a little busy. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. And Jesus kind of continued this pattern, right? Fishermen, tax collectors, serial doubters, skeptics, criminals, and so on, right? They, they weren't defined by what they were told was not possible for them. Instead, Jesus invited people like that to, to rethink their lives in light of the fact that the kingdom of heaven is now open to everyone. I'm going to read you a quote. I was figuring out a way to kind of end today. So we're laying in the plane here pretty soon. See if I can do this one-handed. We'll get there. This is from the book, The Divine Conspiracy, and I was reading it this morning. When it comes to discipleship, a lot of times we think it's an invitation to a Bible study or, or a place to kind of learn and learn facts and information. But, but here's, here's what this was. Dallas Willard says this. With the coming of Jesus, the kingdom was not only here as it always had been, but now was directly and interactively accessible to every one of the people. No matter what their standing in life was or what they had done or not done, they didn't have to belong to the glitterati, to the humanly blessed. All they had to do was trust this man, Jesus, as the one anointed to bring God personally into human history and therefore the Lord of history. That's what discipleship is. It's not a Bible study. It's not a class. It's trusting Jesus who brings the kingdom of heaven into human history, makes it accessible for all in learning that same mission. But Jesus isn't done kind of uncanceling discipleship, right? Because, again, what I told you, discipleship, the the option or opportunity of discipleship back in this day were only open to men. Check out what it says in Luke 8. This is kind of the message paraphrase. Luke 8, chapter 1, says, He, Jesus, continued according to the plan, which I love that. According to the plan, meaning this is what he was after, this is what he came to do the whole time. He said he traveled to town after town, village after village, preaching preaching God's kingdom. Again, the kingdom is here. Do you want to change the way? Do you want to rethink your life in light of the fact that the kingdom is open to all? He was spreading that message. The 12, those disciples were with him. But catch this, there were also some women in their company who have been healed of various evil afflictions and illnesses. Mary, the one who was called Magdalene, from whose seven demons had, had come out. Joanna, Joanna the, the, the wife of Chusa, Herod's manager, and, and Susanna, right, along with many others, other women, who used their considerable means to provide for the group. 
Discipleship had effectively been uncanceled. Jesus uncanceled the opportunity and possibility of being disciples and stepping into discipleship for those who had been rejected, revoked, and invalidated. And so my question for us today as we wrap up is this. Would you like to rethink your life in light of the fact that the possibility and opportunity for discipleship is now available to you? Like Willard says in in The Divine Conspiracy, that you have the opportunity to, through a relationship with Jesus, learn to live your life, not just try to imitate his, not just try to copy him, but to live your real life in the same way that he did. To learn not just what to think, but how to think. Not just to learn what to say, but how to say it. Not just to to learn what life looks like, but how to live. And I'm telling you today, that opportunity is available. You can be a disciple. You can be an apprentice of Jesus. Someone who is working to not only be capable of doing the things that Jesus did, but also to become the kind of person that he was. Yes, yes, you. You can be a disciple. That opportunity is now available because Jesus says so. So would you like to rethink your life in light of the fact that that opportunity is now available to you? That the kingdom of heaven is now open to you? Doesn't matter what people have said. Doesn't matter what's in your past. Doesn't matter what what may have disqualified you before. Jesus says, you're uncanceled. Come and follow me. And I will teach you to fish for people. One of my favorite kind of fly up flyby verses. If you if you read John chapter 14, you can skip it, right? You can just read over these verses really fast. But it's one of the most profound sentences in scripture, I feel like, maybe in the entire Bible. Where Jesus looks at this room of, of disciples, men and women that have been following him for, for years, right? That, that had come from rough pasts and rough backgrounds and, and, and that weren't, weren't invited and weren't included and would have been the last people that anybody in the religious community would have ever picked. Jesus looks at them in John 14 and says, if you believe in me, you will continue to do the works that I have done and you will go on to do greater works than you've seen me do. Imagine that. Jesus opens up the doors and unleashes humanity into a new culture, a kingdom culture, an uncanceled culture that is fueled and renovated and formed by his spirit, that that is dependent upon and loves and dives into his word, that searches his word for the truth of what life looks like, and that looks to Jesus as the model on how to live it. That's possible. We're going to worship. We're going to sing another song. And today, if you want to say yes to Jesus, if today you want to choose to follow Jesus, you can do that. To believe in Jesus, to believe that he is your Savior. Love to meet you down front. We can talk about what that looks like. If today you want to join our church, if you want to become a partner at at Adventure, for us to partner with you in ministry and for you to partner with us in ministry. Because what we're after is the same thing that Jesus is after. Disciples who learn how to make disciples who learn how to make disciples. Today you just need prayer. 
I would love to pray with you. There's also a spot down here in front of the cross too that if you just want to spend some one-on-one some -on -one time with God, you can do that. And guess what? He draws near to you. God's not too busy. He's not ashamed of you. He's not mad at you. He doesn't run from you. He loves you. So would you like to rethink your life in light of that? Because how's that other way working out for you? Maybe try this one. Let's pray. Jesus, you're good and we love you. Father, today we thank you that we have the option and opportunity to step into discipleship. That because you say we're able, because you say we're allowed, because you say it's possible, that means it is. Because you are the king. You are the king of the universe. You're the king of everything. Anyone that can be publicly executed and buried in a tomb and three days later crash their own funeral gets to be king. So we trust you. We believe in you. We want to become like you. Thank you for making discipleship possible. Jamie, pray. Amen. Will you stand and sing with us?